Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. One of the most significant protections for religious liberty that churches and other institutions enjoy is something called the ministerial exception. And it is certainly being challenged regularly. Uh, here to talk about a recent case out where I live in California is my good friend and colleague, Attorney Todd McFarland, Associate General Counsel for the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Todd, welcome back to Freedom's Reign. Alan, it's great to be back. So tell us about this case here in the Ninth Circuit in California. Um, well, I guess first, uh, maybe give an introduction to the ministerial exception itself. Sure. Uh, the ministerial exception, it's, it's kind of counterintuitively named because even though it has the word ministerial in it, it's really designed to protect religious organizations, not ministers. Uh, and what it says is, well, as you know, in this country, I think as most Americans understand, there are various civil rights laws and really restrictions on what employers can fire and hire people based on. Um, you know, that really started off in, in earnest with the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and then since then we've everything like from the Americans with Disabilities Act to the Pregnancy Discrimination Act to, you know, you name it, a bunch of different civil rights laws around the country. Well, what the ministerial exception is, is it's found in the First Amendment, in the Free Exercise Clause. But what it says is that while government is free in other contexts to restrict who employers can hire and fire and what criteria they can look at, in making those decisions, they cannot do that for ministers. And so if the ministerial exception applies to a job or to a person, it means that their religious employer can hire or fire them without regard to any of the civil rights laws in the country. And this is designed to protect the institutions. So if a church, you know, or a diocese or a conference wants to fire a person who's a minister, then the government can't come in and say, oh, no, no, no. Uh, you know, you have to hire him back or you have to pay him money or her uh, because uh, you had an illegal motive. So they just really, it's an exception to employment protections that exist right. in this country. So one of the ways I like to explain it kind of in real practical terms, you know, supposing, say, a Korean pastor comes to the administrator uh, and says, I'd like to be assigned to pastor that black church over there. And the administrator's thinking, well, you know, he's Korean, he has an accent, it's a different culture, um, you know, he's not really the best choice for that church, and the administrator assigns um, a black pastor to pastor the black church. Well, that's clearly race discrimination or national origin discrimination, but, you know, what the law recognizes is the courts are not going to interfere with how the church decides where to assign ministers or who's appropriate or, you know, making decisions on terms of who represents the church and, and how they serve the church in these kinds of ministerial capacities, right? Right. Or you could look at, say, you know, the Catholic Church. It has a policy and a doctrinal belief that it does not hire women for the priesthood. Um, in a secular context, that would be illegal as the day is long. But, you know, whether you agree with that or not, what the First Amendment says is the Catholic Church has the right to decide 
uh, who it will hire, and if it wants to have an all-male priesthood, then it's entitled to do that. Sure. Even if we think it's wrong. <laughs> right. All right. So the question is, really, um, we know that the ministerial exception is designed to apply to the relationship between a religious organization and its clergy, its ministers. But the real issue is how far beyond that? Uh, what happens in the case of teachers? So this gets right. us into the recent case here in California. So talk about this case. Yeah, so that is where the fight has been. Uh, in fact, the first time the U.S. Supreme Court ever um, ruled on a ministerial exception was in a teacher case, in a case called Hosanna Tabor um, several years ago. And this current case uh, is the same is the same situation. Uh, a woman by the name of Kristen Beal worked for St. James Catholic Church there in California, and she, well, it's a Catholic school. She got hired there as a grade school teacher. She had responsibilities there to um, out in Catholic Bible instruction for about, I think, about 45 minutes a day. She did that from a workbook. Uh, she also led the students out in prayer, or at least supervised over prayer. And she also took them to Mass and to other religious functions, and also was responsible for integrating Catholic teachings and doctrines into the lesson plan as a whole. Uh, she herself, however, was not Catholic, and it wasn't required that the, person, the individual be Catholic. She didn't hold any ordination credentials or anything like that from the Catholic Church, uh, and that wasn't a necessary requirement. She um, was then uh, diagnosed with breast cancer, uh, informed the school, um, and then following that, she found out that her contract for the next school year was not renewed. The nuns that oversaw this uh, said it was because of her teaching performance, and she wasn't up to par and had problems with her classroom you know, management and so forth. She sued, saying, no, no, this is a form of disability discrimination. You fired me because I had breast cancer. And so then the question becomes, a threshold question, is a person who for about 45 minutes a day, five days a week, leads Catholic instruction to grade school students, oversees prayers, takes kids to Mass, is supposed to integrate uh, their teachings into into the classroom as a whole, they a, quote, minister for purposes of the ministerial exception. Now, we know from Hosanna Tabor that the answer of whether a teacher can be a, quote, minister is yes. I mean, that was the exact case the Supreme Court decided, 9-0, by the way. But the question is, is how far removed can that, does that teacher have to be? So Cheryl Parrish, who was the teacher in Hosanna Tabor, she had some factors going for her that this teacher didn't. So she didn't have to be, the uh, both teachers didn't have to be the same uh, religion as the school. But the other one she did, for instance, she took, she held a credential. The school gave her a, a ministerial type credential. She also took advantage of something called the parsonage allowance, which is a tax benefit that ministers get while working there. She also was something called a call teacher. This is the other teacher in the other Supreme Court case. Uh, and she had essentially a form of tenure and it could only be dismissed with a vote of the congregation, et cetera. And what the Ninth Circuit said is, well, this teacher, this uh, Kristen Beal, she isn't enough like the other teacher, and hers is really a secular job, and they sort of dismissed the, the religious functions that she had, leading prayers, overseeing prayers, taking kids to Mass, and also, um, you know, actually instructing for about 45 minutes a day. Right. So, I mean, essentially what the Ninth Circuit said is that this exception does not just apply willy-nilly across the board to uh, rank-and-file teachers in religious schools without more. 
Yeah, well, what, I think some of the people involved in the case of they said they essentially adopted what's known as the functions plus test. In other words, it wasn't enough that the individual engaged in some religious functions, which this teacher certainly did. I mean, teaching Bible and Catholic doctrine and theology to students 45 minutes a day is certainly a religious function, as were all the other things that she did. Uh, but they said, well, she didn't have this other indicia, this other factors that the teacher in the Supreme Court case did, and so therefore we don't think there's enough here for her to be a, a minister. So you're calling that functions plus? Yeah, that's what I think some of the uh, the parties are, are calling this and are describing it as, as a functions plus test. And, you know, the challenge here, of course, is, you know, many people have thought that the Ninth Circuit got this right and said, well, it was a secular job, et cetera. I mean, secular teacher, you know, she wasn't required to be Catholic herself. You know, how can you call this, you know, being a, you know, a, a minister for the Catholic Church? And certainly, you know, if she had been required to be Catholic, had specialized Catholic training, and had gone through specialized, you know, and got a credential, et cetera, you know, if the person was a nun, if she was a nun, then that would, that would, you know, really be a much clearer case. But, you know, the ministerial exception, right. and I think the Hosanna Tabor case, is intended to be broad. I mean, look at this at a different angle, which is to say, you know, is this religious enough? So instead of looking at the free exercise, exercise clause, look at the establishment clause. If the Ninth Circuit had been examining this case asking if a public school teacher taught 45 minutes of Bible a day, or supervised kids in prayer, took them to Mass each, you know, when, when required three times a week, I believe it was, they would find that to be overwhelmingly religious and, and strike it down in a heartbeat as being religious in violation of the Establishment Clause. Yet somehow, when you get over to the, the Free Exercise Clause, then all of a sudden this isn't religious enough. Now, those two clauses have some play in the joints, and they're not coextensive. In other words, just because when something starts, you know, being part of the free exercise clause doesn't mean it falls into the establishment clause and vice versa. But it just is striking how this panel, which was a 2-1 decision, by the way, it wasn't unanimous, uh, there was a strong dissent, you know, was going out of its way to find stuff secular that in a different context they almost assuredly would have said is enough religious to violate the other part of the First Amendment. So, you know, I'm hearing you, Todd, and as I look at this, um, to me, the issue is not whether these are religious activities, but one of the things that concerns me is in the Catholic system, they hire anybody to be a teacher. So this one happened to be Catholic, but the same person, if they were not Christian at all or not Catholic at all, would have the same responsibilities. And logically, then it would have to extend the protection to them. And I just don't see how if a job, if being part of the faith is not an essential function and requirement of the job, how can that person be considered a minister? Well, remember, so first of all, and I, I'm sorry if I misspoke, so that the teacher in this case, uh, Kristen Beale, she was not Catholic, not Catholic. Oh, she's but not? Remember, I thought she was. No, I'm pretty sure she's not. Um, look at the opinion here. But the other thing is, remember, Cheryl Parrish, which was the case in Hosanna Tabor, she was not Lutheran either. Now, she held a credential, but that was not a requirement that the individuals be part of the same faith. You know, I mean, term ministerial and minister is a term of art. Uh, there's no question. I mean, you know, you know, even in the Adventist faith, you know, we have ministers and we have teachers, and they are two different words and two different callings, and, you know, and, and they don't always overlap. But what the ministerial exception is applies to is individuals who preach and teach uh, the faith of the school. 
And there's no question here that this teacher, Kristen Beale, was teaching Catholic doctrine. Now, yes, it was out of a workbook. Uh, yes, you know, she wasn't, you know, Vatican trained. Uh, but, you know, this was, I think, a third grade classroom. You know, this wasn't probably the most advanced theology in the world. And, you know, the Catholic school had made a decision that that could be accomplished by non-Catholic teachers. And, you know, whether that's right or not, or whether that's the way the Catholics would be the best way, is it really for the government to say, listen, you have, the only way you can maintain control over who teaches your faith is if you hire people that we, the government, think um, you should hire. And, you know, I think the answer to that is no. So I think it would be helpful for our listeners to just kind of remind them that, there, you know, in context, there's also a second kind of lesser protection. You know, this case is a disability discrimination case. Um, she's claiming she was fired because of her cancer. If the school chose to fire her because she was violating the religion or not teaching religion adequately, well, there's protection for the school under federal law as far as religious discrimination. So it's not an all or nothing proposition. The problem with that, first of all, that exemption, while currently, currently valid in California, uh, is being challenged in other states. So we just filed an amicus brief, in fact, yesterday with some other organizations in Washington state, where there's very strong attempts to get rid of those exemptions. Second of all, had they accused her of not keeping the faith there, and, and, and in other words, they fired her for religious reasons, that doesn't give the school uh, protection. All that means is then there would be a trial over, was it because of the cancer or was it because of the religion? And so all of a sudden there you have the school's decision about to terminate being second-guessed by a secular court. Now, what the courts have said is for non-teaching jobs, non-minister jobs, like a, you know, a school janitor or something, we'll take the risk that the court will get it wrong. But do you really want to have the court second-guessing that decision to fire a person who teaches the faith about for the real reason or not? This has been a wonderful discussion. Our guest, Attorney Todd McFarlane, we've been talking about the ministerial exception. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Rynock. Until next week, let freedom ring.